Hello, everybody. This is Michael with the Left Unread podcast. As you know, we are here to uplift black and brown voices, to talk about black and brown books, and to be a menace until the publishing industry makes space for all of us. And I'm here with my co-host, Lonnie. How are you doing, Lonnie? Hello, everyone. I am doing really well today. I'm, again, very, very excited to dive in and talk to our guest today on the podcast. Yeah, me too. And for everybody listening, we have Gabby Burton with us, the author of Sing Me to Sleep. How are you doing, Gabby? I'm good. I'm super excited to be here talking with both of you. So we're going to go really easy on you today. Usually we start out with an elevator pitch, but why don't you tell our guests a little bit about yourself? Um, my name's Gabby. Um, I am a Black author. I've wanted to be an author for as long as I can remember. Sing Me to Sleep is... Well, it became the book of my heart once I started writing it, and I realized that I wanted to write fantasy. Before that, I'd only been writing mystery thrillers. Um, I'd only been writing white characters. Um, and then once I realized that I was allowed to write about Black people, um, I not only started writing fantasy, but I also started making my characters a lot more angry. And then it became even more fun uh, than it was before. And so publishing has been so far a bit of a whirlwind, but I've been pretty happy just to like connect with other readers, especially black readers who I feel like it's so cool to watch this like next generation of readers who've like grew up seeing black books on shelves. Cause like that was not my experience as a kid. So that's been probably the best part of this whole publishing experience so far. That's really, really cool. Um, you got me at mystery thrillers, so I'm going to have to go back and read those. Um, <laughs> None of them are published. They're all just sitting on my computer. (laughs) Well, if you love us enough, you know our email. Yeah, yeah. You know, no big deal. Um, But yeah, it sounds like like a huge journey to where you are now. So tell us a little bit about, about your book. Sing Me to Sleep is, so it's a young adult fantasy. It's about a siren named Sersha who lives in this kingdom where all other sirens are extinct and it's illegal to be a siren. And so she has to take this job as a bodyguard to the crown prince of her kingdom. And she's thinking, you know, she's going to hate him because her dad is the reason all of her kinds exist. um, All of her kind is extinct. Um, But turns out he's like super hot, though. And so they get a little bit closer. She sees like another side of him. And meanwhile, he's asked her to help him track down a killer in their kingdom. And he doesn't know that the killer he's looking for is Sersha. Where where did this story come from? It was, so I was on a Zoom call with some author friends. These were like friends that I was like querying with. And we were, we had a Halloween themed Zoom. We were talking about monsters and everyone else in the group, it's funny, they were all writing fantasy at the time. And I was writing still mystery thrillers. And I'd always said I wasn't going to write fantasy because I was like, I don't like world building. <laughs> don't like descriptions um so fantasy is not my thing but we were talking about monsters and someone mentioned sirens and i just thought that that was a really interesting kind of monster because i feel like sirens are like i don't know i feel like there's a way that sirens are misunderstood i feel like they're just this like really cool creature that um i was really interested in uh, especially since they're like violent but also beautiful and i wanted to explore that and you know they're like vicious mermaids and i love mermaids so i wanted to like get into that and so then i just started like reading more of like my favorite fantasy to like prepare myself to write it 
Um, and then once I actually started writing it, I was like, you know what? I kind of really like writing fantasy. And ever since all of my ideas, I'm like, what if we just added some magic there? Yeah, and I think that really came through in your story. Um, for me, I think this story really encapsulated so much of the Black experience. Watching the way that your main character owns her power and her magic while moving through the world as a force to be reckoned with. And like, at simultaneously, she is incredibly isolated and hunted because of the very power that makes her special. Um, and I think the question that I have for you is, what did you want your Black readers to take away from her story? Did you intend for that to really be a picture of Blackness in America? Oh, absolutely. Like that was one of like the biggest themes in the book. And something that I'm exploring more in book two is like the fact that she's so separated from her history. And that was something that was really important to me that she's, she feels very alone. She feels very isolated. And also there's this huge chunk of her history that's missing. And she wants to know more about it because she's wondering if that'll help her learn more about herself. And I really wanted to dig into the idea of like, if you are, you know, monstrous in nature because people kind of tell you that's what you are um, and what sorts of things can be justified. Um, and in the sense of like violence throughout the book, I really liked the idea of like, I, I should say, I don't like the idea that like, you know, violence is never the answer. Like there's never a time when violence isn't like the only way um that you can kind of rise up and so that was something that i wanted Sersha to struggle with too kind mm -hmm. of being in the suppressed system and kind of at what point like have i reached my breaking point when is it like working within the system working against the system within the rules aren't going to fix anything yeah. um I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to give away spoilers, but there is a particular character in mind who, for me, embodies that. Um, and that person is my favorite. But I don't want to say who that character is because of spoilers, but I feel like you both know who I'm talking about. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think for me, not only did that really shine through, but it really spoke to my own experience as a black man who has often been in very white spaces where mm -hmm. I have had to, I've been forced to be the most gifted in the room. I've been forced to always be the best at everything that I try to do. But at the same time, there are pressures and forces that are pushing me to direct that magic towards, I don't know how to even word it, towards things that won't allow me to shine. You know what I mean? Like you have to be the best in the room, but you're not going to be allowed to thrive in the systems that exist here. So you're going to have to get around them and figure out a way to exist within this picture we've painted of you and I think that's something that I loved in the story the way that she never stops being a force to be reckoned with but she is also never allowed to compete yes oh I didn't I guess I didn't touch on this um but yeah so in the story she because she's a siren and sirens aren't allowed to exist she pretends to be Faye um but in pretending to be Faye, she has to pretend to be a Faye that doesn't have powers. And because of that, a lot of people look down on her. So yeah, like that whole aspect of her personality and her character of constantly having to prove herself was definitely like at the forefront of my mind because I feel like so many Black people relate. I went to like, so I'm from St. Louis, uh, Missouri, but I went to school in the suburbs in like this <laughs> really bougie town that's like 96% white. And then I went to college in Maine. Um, 
my parents have a running joke that I just seek out the least <laughs> black places I can find. But um, like constantly being surrounded by like white people, especially like very privileged white people um, who not only feel like they've earned everything they have, even if they can afford all sorts of things that like I personally couldn't afford, you know, but feel very comfortable telling you that you don't deserve it. That was something that I wanted Sersha to mm. kind of struggle with. And I think a lot of black readers can can relate to that experience. Yes, yeah, so much so of I have to be like you, but I don't get to be you and you're never going to let me forget it. Yeah. And I think along that same thread, um, but shifting a little bit, another thing that I really noticed in this story um, was the way that you kind of wrestled with politics and the fight for liberation and ultimately what it looks like when marginalized people are exploited by competing forces, even if one of them look like they're for your benefit when they may not be. Uh, yeah, liberals, I'm talking to you. Did you intend for us to take away anything regarding our own political climate? Oh, absolutely. I. It's so, it's funny because um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because this is a book where everyone in the world is black and brown. I decided I wasn't going to write like whiteness into this book. Because of that, however, it had kind of the unintended consequence of people saying things like, oh, this is a book that doesn't have racism in it. And I'm like, okay, but it is like, it is like explicitly about that. <laughs> and like explicitly, I think too, about, yeah, the way that politics um, and race work together. And a big factor in that is, yeah, asking people to kind of question um, where you're getting your information. Um, why you believe the things that you do um and is being a good person really enough to like challenge the system you know like passively but i'm a good person does that really matter in the grand scheme of things um and that is something that i wanted people to think about but like i said i think there was the unintended consequence of oh if there's no whiteness that means there's no i don't have to think about race in this book well no that that wasn't that wasn't my goal but um I have gotten that comment from from a few readers. So how about an exclusive? Because I'm very excited to know, is there anything you can tell us about, you know, your current work in progress um, or a future project or anything else that no one knows yet? Um, my next series is Another Wife Fantasy. It is more political than Sing Me to Sleep. Um, and I think it comes from a lot more, from a more rageful place than Sing Me to Sleep came from too. Basically, I wanted this next book to speak to like black people who constantly feel like you have to smile. You're not allowed to like talk about the things that bother you because, you know, it'll make people see you a certain way or it will um, like the, you know, the angry black woman uh, trope, that stereotype. Um, so like the constant, pressure to feel like, oh, I have to smile at all times and present um, this sort of like, I'm okay, I'm doing fine, even if like, there's a lot of anger um, built up inside you. Also, um, this next book focuses a lot on a character who operates behind the scenes and gets basically no credit for it and how much that eats away and like chips at her soul um, and kind of pushes her to a point where she's like, if no one is going to recognize me like from the shadows, like then I will become 
the system, basically. Um, and I've been having a lot of fun with that character because she's someone who I don't want to be like a good person, um, but someone who is, in my opinion, a very justified person. And I hope that people see her her that way. And I'm really excited for it when it does eventually come out. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about publishing as a whole. You want to tell us a little bit about your journey, like how you got here, where we started, all of that. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so I wanted to be a writer um, since I was a kid. My earliest memory of like wanting to be an author was like first grade. And like when I got a laptop, you know, I started like typing up stories. They're all awful. It took me a while to figure out that I am a plotter. I cannot pants. I would like start stories, get like halfway through and then be like, now what? And then would have nothing else to do. Um, that is so, so then funny. after <laughs> I just, I am so jealous of people who can just write. Um, and then like an amazing story comes out. Obviously you edit, but I just, that is not my experience. Um, so once I figured out as a plotter, I actually started finishing books. They're still awful, uh, but <laughs> they're so bad. But um, I queried for the first time uh, when I was 16, but still writing awful books. So, um, and that was, and at that point I was still writing all white characters. Um, and querying was, it was an interesting experience. At that point, though, I didn't know any, like, I didn't have any author friends. So it really was just a very, like, isolating experience. Mm. And at that point, I didn't, like, there weren't any that I saw, like, black works of fiction, like, especially, like, in YA that I'd ever seen on shelves. So writing, writing like, white books, white characters, I should say, just felt very comfortable. Um, and then there was this book that I'd been working on on and off for a few years and it was summer 2020 um after the murder of george floyd you know like that summer when publishing was like oh we care so much about black books we're gonna push them really hard um i didn't believe them but it did have give a like a lot more visibility to a lot of black books and black authors and i was like okay so i'm allowed to write black characters so i rewrote that book um to have like black characters. I queried it again. It did a lot better in the query trenches. Um, I did end up getting an offer of representation on that book. But by the time I'd gotten an offer, I had written Sing Me to Sleep. Um, and I just had a lot more faith in that book because it wasn't a story that had started out with white characters that I like rewrote to have black characters. It was one that like from the beginning, I was like, no, this is going to center blackness. And it just felt more like me. So, um, so I held off on that first offer and I like put, I guess all my eggs in the sing me to sleep basket, hoping that I would get an offer for that one. But then I did and it worked out. And honestly, my publishing process after that was like pretty like dreamlike. It, in under a week, we had an editor like express interest and we met with that editor. Um, and then the week after that, we got an offer and that's my current editor. So it just all really panned out kind of perfectly after that. And I couldn't have like imagined it going any better than that. That is so amazing. And um, and I do recall all of that happening when all of a sudden overnight publishers were like, what are you talking about? We love the black people. We love them. And, um, and it has been so fascinating watching how, yes, change has been happening, but also watching how much 
how much change has looked an awful lot like, I'm trying to think how to word this, like yes, change is happening, but also a lot of performative things are happening in the industry, which is so fascinating to me. I actually recently had a conversation with a publicist who I love, incredible woman. I, I, I very much enjoyed talking with her over the last year and a half. Um, it, like she not only sends me books, but we'll talk about the books. Um, she will email me, ask me what I thought, tell me what she thought. It was in a great relationship. But I recently had to talk to her because I was like, I've realized that a lot of publishers are talking about diversity while picking up one or two black authors but not really putting their money where their mouth is. They're not throwing massive marketing budgets behind black books the way they are white books. And when it comes to actually talking about them in bookish spaces, a lot of times I have felt that publishers have used our platforms to prove their diversity as opposed to actually investing in black stories to prove their diversity. And I have found that so fascinating. So I've really enjoyed watching your journey because I think I started following you pretty early in the publisher part of it, like you had already written the book, it was already it was already purchased when when I found your account, but it was it wasn't out yet. Um, and I have really enjoyed watching watching you flourish. And so that was actually very interesting to me to hear that you turned down the first deal. Like as a fellow black, I'm like, what? You said no, thank you. That is wild. But I'm glad that you believed in yourself because this is the book you were meant to write. Um, but I think the question I have here after all of the rambling. Um, is do you feel that your book and your career have been received well? Do you believe that the promises made in 2020 were real? Do you feel that bookish spaces have made space? We're getting messy, sorry. Do you do you feel that you have been received well by bookish spaces and by the industry? Has sufficient space been made for you or have you had to carve that out for yourself? That's a great question. And honestly, I feel like it's like yes and no. I have felt like very much like supported by Bloomsbury. Um, but I think too, and I'm not going to name any particular publishers, my experience and the experience that other Bloomsbury authors have had has just been better across the board than a lot of other publishers because absolutely not did they deliver on any other promises from 2020, like any of them. Um, like the only thing they did was like start acquiring more black books. I'm not going to put any particular book on blast, but for the past few years, I've just been like monitoring like those big black book deals. Cause you know, every few months they'll like snap up this like amazing um, black book or a book that sounds amazing to me for lots and lots of money. And it's like this big splashy deal. And I'm like always watching to see if it actually does something, you know, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to need to see you marketing it the way you do those white books. You know, I want to see it everywhere and I don't see them doing it. And, and then, you know, in conversations that I've had with black authors who've had this happen to them, it's always their fault, you know, like after the fact, it's not like, oh, we didn't market it enough. It's you didn't sell enough copies. Well, we're authors like, um, and the reason why a lot of people choose trad pub is because like, we didn't want to have to do like that heavy lifting of marketing. Like that was supposed to be your job. And if you're not going to do your job, um, like what is like, what is our incentive, um, to stick around here? Um, so yeah, no, I absolutely don't think they delivered. For me personally, I will say that I have felt supported as an author. I think as a Black author, it's been 
a few things that has been nice for me, again, just this is my experience specifically with Bloomsbury, having a black cover artist, um, that was that was great. In terms of marketing to black people specifically, that's something that I've seen the industry just sort of fail at across the board. I think in general, especially for like YA, they think about, you know, people who are into a very specific kind of author. You know, people who the first fantasy book they really liked was like uh, Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Mass, or people who are really into um, The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. You know, like I feel like they, <laughs> they, they only understand that demographic of person and they just keep shoving books at like those people. Yeah, so I, I see you regularly criticizing readers who talk about not being able to relate to Black characters um, and having experienced a good publisher who loves your voice as a Black woman, um, but seeing publishing as a whole fail to find Black readership, I imagine that is a much bigger problem um, for you and other Black authors than it would be for a for a white author because they're their target demographic is the demographic that their publishers are targeting too. Um, and so like I see you talking about that all the time, can you talk to us about your experience growing up as a black reader in a very white publishing industry and why you're so passionate about creating stories where black people can not only clearly be seen and experienced, but stories that will be a joy for black people to see and experience. Yeah. I, gosh, I loved books so much as a kid. It was like, um, I had this pin, this yellow pin that I wore every single day for five years that said I love to read. Um, I wore it everywhere except for um, this is this is me being a nerd, except for church and debate tournaments. Um, but everywhere else I wore it. Um, like I was obsessed with books and everyone knew it. And like honestly, like I did not read a single book um by a black person about a black person that wasn't about like slavery until I was like 20 years old. And there were some books that I had thought were by black authors. Like I read the book Chains by Laurie's Hulse Anderson. I just assumed she was black. And then at one point I discovered that she's this white woman. And I was like, so why did you write? Like what's happening? <laughs> um, but but like there just weren't any any books about people that like looked like me or had like any sort of experiences that I want to. I don't want to say like any experiences that I could relate to, but just there were certain experiences that were always going to be missing. Um, and when I read like my first like black fantasy book, it was so fascinating because there are so many aspects of blackness that I don't even know that. Well, I know that a lot of white readers aren't thinking about, but like when you see someone have to think about like their hair before like going on an adventure like that does something when people are like yeah when you see like black families hanging out the way like black families hang out like in a book and it's just like normal and it's not like portrayed in this <laughs> raving characters in fantasy who have a family <laughs> yeah that's a rarity in and of itself <laughs> but like it just it does something and yes for me as a kid like I know that especially since I was surrounded by a lot of white people I just kind of didn't talk about race kind of at all um mm. with my friends just because you know it would make them uncomfortable the few times it came up and I was like okay I guess that's just something that we don't have to talk about you know we won't <laughs> we won't discuss we won't we won't 
challenge anything. Um, and so when I like started reading books and I saw like, oh my goodness, like black people existing in like fiction spaces, I was like, this is so cool because like, I'm so tired of whiteness being the default and like having thoughts that I can't share because it'll make other people uncomfortable. Um, and now I feel a lot more comfortable making people feel uncomfortable. I have a lot of fun with that with my white friends. Um, I I think of it as reparations, making my friends feel uncomfortable sometimes. Absolutely. But, but it is really important to me that like little black girls see themselves in books and don't think of mm. race as like this taboo thing. You know, it's not something that I can't talk about. Um, these differences between me and my like white friends, like they're not a bad thing, but they are a thing. And, and they should be able to acknowledge that. And I think if I had had that when I was a kid, I would have felt a lot more comfortable in my own skin, a lot more comfortable, yeah. like advocating for myself, like within like my close friend groups. Um, and it is my sincerest hope that like black kids who are growing up with more representation now, still not perfect, obviously, but it is it is better. And I'm hoping that, I don't know, maybe they're able to have some of those conversations with their peers. Maybe, you know, they'll feel better in their own skin. I actually, so um, so my family's like super athletic and uh, they all do like running and football and soccer and basketball. And I hate all of that, but I always really loved swimming. It's like my favorite, the only sport I've ever liked. And um, all throughout like elementary school and like middle school, my parents were like, okay, well, you know, your brothers all do like sports. Like you should do swimming competitively like throughout the school year. Cause I would only do it over the summer when I wouldn't see, you know, my friends. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with my hair? That's, I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> you know how many questions I would get every day about my hair. Um, in high school, I was on my high school swim team, but like those three months um, during like uh, girl swim season, like I just felt so bad about myself the whole time. Like it mm -hmm. was just like, I, I hated it. Um, even though I like, I do really enjoy swimming. And so Sing Me to Sleep was like really cathartic to write. I because bet. like Saoirse is someone who like loves her hair and she loves the water. And I just really wanted black girls to see that and not yeah. feel like a shame for like their natural hair. It took me a really long time to like, feel confident about like my hair like a really long time it's i'm still a work in progress but like that was just something that I, I hope black girls can see themselves in yeah and it takes it takes time and effort to unlearn those things and i think that's one of the beautiful aspects of those moments in books like yours moments where black people can look at the book and see something I, that your white readers probably didn't see like there are there are white women reading your book that are like what a cringe thing to add where black women are like, yes, thank you. Because I think about this every time I read a book like this. Um, and I think that that is, that is so beautiful. Um, and even, even thinking about as a child in, in that similar experience, reading a lot of books that were great stories that I could, I could worm my way into. I could find a way to see myself as the main character, but the main character was never able to actually exist in the way that I would in the story. Like, in those same stories, like, and we write them so differently. Like there are so many stories from our childhood where we are seeing white characters who are supposed to be as important as everybody else who happen to have come across a bad time and ended up in a bad spot. You know, the, the, the yeah. child that's in trouble, but actually is destined to be great. And that's not our story. We are the people that are walking through life and being demonized and turned into monsters and portrayed as animals. And in our stories, 
we get to see those children come out of the actual oppression that they are experiencing and learn to to not only overcome it, but to find themselves again. And that's one of the things I really enjoyed in your story is that um, she's not one of these she's not one of the important people who happen to have been forgotten. She is one of the people being hunted um, and has to find her power despite that. And I love that. Uh, I love that. And I think one of the questions that I would ask you is what advice would you give to black and brown authors who are trying to add their voice to this growing narrative that black people get to be the center of the story? How do we make space for our stories? I think a big one, um, a few different things. First, making black friends, like making black author friends has been like, it's like totally changed the game for me because like, it's not only people who like know what you're going through and that you can talk to, but also if you're talking to people who are at different stages and like the publishing process, you have like those connections, um, not even just for like referrals, but also just like, okay, this is how you would navigate this. Um, oh, they want you to change this aspect. You can tell them this. Um, and then you can make sure that you're advocating for yourself. If there's like an aspect of, <laughs> like if your copy editor tries to change something like, is this really how someone would talk? Yes, that is how someone would talk. <laughs> you can you can tell them that. And I think having like a support of like black authors is like really, really helpful for that. I think too, it's more important for black authors um, now more than ever, like to make sure that you know what you want your story to say and do not feel like, don't shy away from telling people like, no, I'm not going to change it if it like alters my vision at all. It's hard to do, but I think, so for like traditional publishing, you want to be upfront with your agent about that from the beginning. If there's an aspect of your book that you are not going to shift on, no matter what, tell them that so that when they're talking to editors, they're telling them that too. It should not be on you to have to like argue with your editor for like, you know, um, aspects that are like integral to your story. I have a friend, I'm not going to share names, but um, basically there is this aspect of the book that's like pretty dark that um, every other editor passed on. And she was like, nope, I'm not taking it out. Like I, this is, this is really important to the story. And she told her agent that she put her foot down. And when she was in a meeting with her current editor uh, for the first time, she was like, I just want to be super clear. This is one part that I am not taking out. I am not editing it out. Um, and the editor was like, okay, yeah, no, I like that part. Let's keep it in. And that's really important. Um, I'm not trying to say that that won't like cost you like opportunities because it, it honestly might. I mean, publishing is really, really white and has a whiteness problem. But I think that part of it is important because when you find the right person for your book, that's the most important part, yep. I think. Um, so. And it's just so important for the future of publishing and for the next generation of black writers and brown writers that this generation is setting the stage that our stories are going to be unapologetically uncomfortable for your for your the readers yes. that you have been selling things to. They are not going to like this book, but it's going to succeed anyway. And I think that is so important. And I think authors like Octavia Butler and N.K. Jemison and Tracy Dion and Nia Davenport, that's something that they've done for us is they have proven to the publishing world 
that this whiteness problem is purely in that boardroom. Our books will sell, our books will do well, and people will get over it. They will find a way to see us in our element and to enjoy the magic or to get out of our way. Yep. I love that. Unapologetically uncomfortable. Yeah, because I mean, that's... That's what we should have called our podcast. It's still a good name. Love it. Keep it for something else. (laughs) But it's so funny to me because I feel like every single person that like you just mentioned, like is not only so, um, oh my goodness, words are hard. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Leaving that in. Oh, it's not coming to me. But basically what I wanted to say was that I think that each of those authors is like so successful, like in spite of, you know, like I I think about like, uh, I know Nia Davenport's been pretty open about like her experiences with like wanting a trilogy they forced it into a duology um and i just know that her books though continue to like do well people love them they resonate with them so strongly in spite of her publisher like she it's because of her and her storytelling prowess and i think like all of those authors um we watch them rise, even though publishing continues to tell us like, oh, your stories aren't going to sell. Yeah. People aren't going to connect with this aspect of it. You're just wrong. Like, you're yeah. just, you're not right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, for one, I'm tired of hearing that. And I know you are too, because I see it in your content all the time. I am tired of hearing you can't relate. I don't care. I didn't write it for you. Right. <laughs> you can't relate. That is fine. There are so many black and brown people that can relate. And to be honest, I think in the same way that we've had to unlearn a lot of things, there are a lot of white people that are having similar experiences to us that are just sold on this lie of the American dream that have just not believed that they're having the same experiences as us, but they are. A lot of them are having the same experiences. Um, They just, they can afford a little more hope. (laughs) It's, my dad always says that, White people have been convinced that they're like winning a race war when really they're losing a class war. And I just think that's so true. If, if they correct. actually thought about it, there are so many like aspects that like, I don't know, like you could relate to. I don't even just mean in terms of like money. I just mean in terms of being a human being yes. that you've been told um, that like, you know, your whiteness means something. So you can't relate. Okay. No, for real. If poor white people would just get on board with how much they've suffered right alongside of us, we could finish this. Because <laughs> there's a lot of them. Well, on that note, um, I just want to say that this was an incredible conversation. Um, loved your book. Cannot wait to look forward. Uh, cannot wait to read the next series and the rest of this series. Um, and where can our listeners find you? What social medias? What websites? Oh, yeah. Okay. So my website is GabbyBurton.com. And then I'm on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And my handle on all three is QuerryQueen339. So very easy to remember. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, And everybody listening, um, well, first of all, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody listening, as always, we are so grateful you're here. We would not be able to do this without you, and we look forward to changing the industry with you. And we are going to be back next week uh, as a menace to everyone. Look forward to it. Bye.